This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Here with you is the title of a brand new recording featuring clarinetist Anthony McGill and pianist Gloria Chen. Fifteen years ago, they made a special connection over the music of Johannes Brahms at the Music at Menlo Festival. And they've always wanted to make this recording, and it finally happened. That's what you're going to hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. All right. Well, um, I just want to start off, Anthony and Gloria, by having you introduce yourselves. And also, the way I'd love for you to do that is to talk about your various musical endeavors. We'll talk more deeply about the two of you as chamber partners, but introduce us to our listeners. Tell them tell them how you spend your time on a regular basis, please. I'm pianist Gloria Chen, and I, along with my husband, violinist Stephen Kim, we are artistic directors at Chimera Music Northwest in Portland, Oregon, and the Lake Champlain Chimera Music Festival in Burlington, Vermont. And I'm also artistic director at String Theory. It's a year-round Chimera Music series in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Wow, you are all over the place. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> And Anthony, tell us where you spend most of your time, probably New York City, I'm guessing. Yes, I'm Anthony McGill. I'm the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic. And I'm also the artistic director of the music advancement program at the Juilliard School, a program for young students. And there's something really exciting happening with that program, I understand. Do you want to give us some insight about that? Yes, the music advancement program was just the recipient of a a $50 million endowment grant by the Crankstart Foundation out of San Francisco. And um, this grant will enable um, our program to become fully tuition-free next year for our students. And it'll um, enable us to expand the program to 100 kids or more and eventually reach younger students. So right now our program is eight to about 8 to 17 years old, and we'll be able to reach um, kids from ages age four eventually. Um, so it's really given us the capacity for growth, but also to reach more more young people um, and invite them into our, our walls at Juilliard. So it's really special time for us and the families and students. So we're really excited about that. What are you most excited about with this additional funding? Well, um, you know, our mission is to reach um, kids from diverse backgrounds in classical music and to um, enable them to, to have a life in music, but also to um, develop their lives as, as leaders of the, of the future. And, um, you know, I started off at a program that was tuition-free that reached inner-city kids in Chicago. And it has been a, a, a dream of mine to be able to help the next generation. And this gift gives us a strong possibility to, to just um, exceed all of our dreams when it comes to pursuing our mission. Uh, in music. So um, it gives me such hope, not just for our program, but also for the future of giving to like youth music in the in the in the country and around the country, because, um, you know, young people deserve to have music in their lives. And this 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 gift in particular, but also people that support music programs all over the country deserve to to be able to um, be inspired to do so. Wow. 
You also, Anthony, were the 2020 Avery Fisher Prize recipient. What does that mean to and for you? Yeah, this is uh, one of the um, biggest honors in classical music, and I, I cherish it so much, and I feel so grateful that I was able to achieve that award. But it's also given me a, a platform to be able to like contribute to also to young people. So I use some of the monies from that um, to start a scholarship fund um, for summer study for our students at MAP. And, um, you know, so it, it enabled me to start um, our own endowment along with Weston Sprott, the dean of the program. Um, and it just gives me the idea that, you know, I'm doing I'm doing what I love and people are noticing. And um, so I need to continue to do so and to continue to perform and reach people and reach the community and uh, do that with purpose and passion. So I'm really excited about that as well. Let's talk a little bit about um, Gloria, you and Anthony and how you met and how you became music collaborators. The two of you met at the 2006 Music at Menlo Festival. You didn't perform together at that time, if I understand that correctly, but you made a special connection. Can you talk about that? I was a participant at the festival, and Anthony was performing, and um, he actually coached me in in a Brahms forehand waltzes. And, um, well, first of all, it was incredible to just hear him perform on stage, and that was a Mozart year, so I think he played... The Clarinet Quintet, Messian Quartet for the End of Time, and to hear that live and to hear his sound, and it was, you know, one of the most gorgeous things you were here. But also to just become friends and colleagues after that festival, and um, we started to play together since then, and we found just a, um, a musical language that we speak together, that we feel like we can share with each other, that's very special to us. The two of you have bonded over the music of Brahms. How did that happen? Well, you know, actually, it probably goes back to that that original meeting with Brahms, but also that, you know, both pianists f- f- throughout history and clarinetists throughout history have loved these particular works because they really are... Um, these two sonatas by Brahms are some of the greatest chamber, part of the greatest chamber music ever written by him. Um, it's a part of a series of pieces that Brahms wrote uh, late in his life when he had already kind of put down the pen, so to speak, <laughs> or pencil, and stopped writing. And he discovered his love of the clarinet. And so he wrote the, a clarinet quintet for clarinet and four strings. He wrote a clarinet trio for clarinet, cello, and piano. And he wrote these gorgeous pieces for two individual parts, the clarinet and the piano. They are such deep, profound works of music that uh, reach the listener in a very unique, special way because it's just the two players, you know, and they are um, in a way massive works of music because of their subtlety, but also because of their depth, um, because of their sensitivity and because of um their intimacy for the performers as well as for the listener. Um, And it's an amazing privilege to be able to do these works with a a partner um, where you feel like you can connect to these works in an intimate way um, on stage as well as in a recording setting. Um, So that's, that's the power of these works in particular. 
Brahms is timeless, I think. You know, we, we play these works, especially since we were students, probably we started to even, you know, listening to this when we were kids and playing them for many, many years. But I think with this music, every point, different point of our lives, we come back to it and it just meets us there on whatever we, we are. We are, it's almost like one of those, how much we're contributing to the music, it gives back to you. Um, that, and that's Brahms for, for, for me, and I think for us as well. And um, so to, to be able to have this um, artistic partnership where we could um, express what we would like in this music um, at this point of our lives, I think also is significant. When COVID hit and we kind of looked at our concerts and our projects and just thought, wow, we've always wanted to do this album together. And, you know, we have the space and time to really spend with this music, with these composers and what we can offer at this time. Um, so I think it just brings another layer to this music that we we play together. And, um, and the Brahms too, again, is that timeless quality when we're making this album and coming back to these pieces that it almost suspends time for us. Yeah, and I think that when you've been playing partners for so long and, and you know, you've spent time performing, we performed with many different people all over the world and we were, you know, so busy doing so many different things separately that we had a moment where we realized we were standing still, the world was standing still. And it was our moment to say, in the midst of saying, what does it all mean? What is the purpose of all of this? What are our lives mean to us as musicians? And what is meaningful to us? Um, this was our moment to say, you know, and I think Gloria said it <laughs> to me, you know, if we don't do this now, we're going to get back up on our busy schedules and our busy things. And, and maybe it would be really sad if we didn't record this and pursue what has been a dream for a very long time of ours to record these pieces, these works. Um, so we did it. You know, we were, we, we had used that opportunity of struggle and pain and, um, and lack of music and performance to create something um, beautiful and to come together for something meaningful for us and hopefully meaningful for others that hear it. I'm thinking about how we really aren't out of the pandemic. We have seen some little lights at the end of the tunnel, and now we're backtracking a little bit because of the variants. And I'm thinking about the end of this year and the beginning of a new one. What in Brahms's music do you feel can provide hope for a new year or for the future? There's something about the sound of this music that is at once nostalgic and painful and carry deep sadness and deep sorrow. And that sorrow can also communicate something um, that is, that envelops one's spirit in hope, in the promise of joy in the future. Um, and while looking back on the joys and the sadness of the past. 
And there's something about the way he puts together the narrative of music, meaning the way the harmonies roll by and the storyline that um, he weaves in his pieces that enables you to reflect in that way. And I think especially, as you mentioned, in this time when we felt like we had made progress and yet we'd look back and it brings us back, it's like those are the ebbs and flows of life, you know? And I think in Brahms' music, you hear all of those waves of emotion, those waves of expression, the kind of tension and the release of, of harmony and dissonance and how that creates a narrative that one can relate to as a musician. The end of the first movement of the E-flat sonata, there's a part where the tension is building. It is released into this glorious, tranquilo, cool, soft, beautiful section where the harmonies just, the joy and the sweetness of life are shown, revealed, right after the most intense moment of pain and passion. And it kind of is a microcosm of what happens throughout the entire work, but also you can think about it on the macro scale as well, the larger scale of like what the things, the trials and tribulations that we go through living life is kind of encapsulated in that moment in this work. And it's like this beautiful kind of triplet line in the clarinet. And it is, it is spectacular. It's probably one of my favorite parts in music to play, one of our favorite parts in music to play, because it has that sweetness and that sadness, you know, and that's it's quintessentially Brahms, but also like great, all kinds of composers use that to kind of get you really hooked and attached to their music. Yeah, I think what maybe Brahms does better than anyone else is he juxtaposes so many layers, is so profound with the depths and with the, the struggles, but then he also has this other side of pure innocence and intimacy that no one else writes like that, where it's so simple and so pure, but so perfectly wonderful. And um, I think that's, again, what makes it really timeless. And, you know, whatever emotions that we're feeling at a time, it's there in the music and which never fails us. What significance may there be to the fact that the first sonata is in F minor and the second sonata is in E flat major. Is there any significance to one being in a minor key versus a major key? It ends in major though, the F, F minor, even though it starts quite uh, stormy. I have to say the last movement of the F major is one of the most triumphant. It's the most celebratory and triumphant. It's, it's almost a very signature Brahms, like like a like a hunt.
but the E flat major is there's nothing like it. You know, even just the first moment that you hear the first melody. Spring, you hear just the warmth of the sun, and it's, it envelops you, and it's really nothing like it. It's always the thought of like, what is the first impression of a piece? And sometimes the first impression is not what the piece is, you know. So that that would be the biggest difference is that that first impression of the first sonata is like, oh, this is serious, you know. There's a storm brewing here. That constant fight between the storm that is a little bit darker, a little bit more concerned, a little bit more. There's more like depression in that in that opening, you know, concern, worry. And then in the second sonata, it's almost like maybe it's a relief, maybe it's just a、um, acceptance, an acceptance of like what it is, what where we are. And that the key of E flat is a very interesting key, especially for wind players, because E flat is the key that a lot of、um, the great composers have used for wind writing in particular. Beethoven or Mozart, Schubert, you know, a lot of these composers wrote in this key.、Um, it's a key of of that kind of sweet. Spring-like sound, hopeful sound. So it gives us maybe just a little bit more hint of of that that hope that it'll all be okay in the end. And Carl Maria von Weber were inspired by a couple of incredible clarinetists, and the composers were talented pianists. Tell me how the fact that these composers were inspired by these clarinetists and they were amazing pianists impacted the pieces that they wrote. The Weber. He calls it do a contretemps. It's essentially a concerto for two instruments, and it's really the most virtuosic writing for both instruments. So much like we're showing each other off, <laughs> and、um, but it's so fun. But yeah, it's a pianistically, it's very idiomatic, but、um, a lot of notes <laughs> and a lot going on at once. So、uh, acrobatic show, <laughs> would you say? Yeah, I. You know, I think、um, they kind of knew, they know the instruments as composers, all of the instruments so well, right? And I might be biased, but you know, clarinet is a very special instrument. <laughs> I think I'm biased, of course. Don't trust my opinion on this, but I think there was particularly something special about the the clarinetists that these composers wrote for. 
um, and all of the composers on, on this album, I suppose, work, wrote for. But in particular, um, and I'll ta- start with Weber. Um, Weber, in all of his operas, in chamber works, Weber also wrote a few concerti for clarinet. He wrote two concertos, a concertino, and a clarinet quintet, as well as some gorgeous, absolutely amazing solos in some of his operas. So he was well-versed in how close the clarinet sounded to the human voice. The clarinet has a nickname of being like the, the soprano clarinet, you know, and Brahms called his favorite clarinetist his, his nightingale, <laughs> you know, and so it was, and Richard Mühlfeld was his, his muse during those years. And I think there is something when you are a collaborator and you know musicians and you know music, um, there is something about the unique quality of the voice of the clarinet, the tone of the clarinet that can capture the imagination in a very emotional way. And um, it did for me, of course, as <laughs> a clarinetist. But I think there is something about the way it can be used as a solo uh, voice in the opera, for instance. Um, that makes it an instrument that can be used to sing um, very beautifully. And I think there's something also um, sad about the sound of the clarinet. It's not just, it can be sweet and it can be uh, loud and aggressive too, but it also, in its softest moments, can be especially intimate and especially soft. And I think that's something that it's, it's the quality of it um, can connect with the listener in that way. And you'll hear those in the softest moments of the, of the whole album, is this intimacy, this whispering of the sound, and coupled with the delicacy of the piano. Um, it's a similar color inside the sound. Like the human voice, I think clarinet has like the biggest range maybe of any instruments. You have, you know, the softest, most intimate, but also the other side. But Anthony, I've always wanted to ask you, have you been the Millfield for any composers? <laughs> or how many composers have you been Millfield? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. No, I would I would uh I would think so. I don't know. <laughs> I think many more composers have been amused for me. I'm lucky that, you know, composers were right for us <laughs> too. I love this. You guys are interviewing each other here. <laughs> <laughs> How does Jesse Montgomery's composition piece fit into the concept of Here With You, which is the title of your recording? I think music is about connection. Music is about um, how we can reach people and how we connect with one another. So when I discovered this piece, I was I was listening to a lot of my friends and colleagues and online performing concerts. 
last year, and uh, this was in 2020. And I, I came across a performance of a friend of ours, Elena Uriosti, violin, and Tom Poster and piano, performing in their at home. And they were performing every day at home, and they were performing a wide variety of things. They were performing Disney tunes and original compositions by friends and composers, um, as well as standards. And, and this work just grabbed me and moved me and touched me, not only because I knew all of the cast of characters personally, but because like music does, it kind of reaches inside of you and can touch your spirit very directly and intimately, powerfully. And I uh, wrote to Jesse right away and I asked her like, can I, can I perform this? Can I transcribe it? Can I arrange it or whatever? And she offered to do so. And as Gloria and I discussed when and where and how we would record our album, we knew that this work, Peace, P-E-A-C-E, needed to be on the album to make a, a stamp. The stamp is very large, a place, a marking of where we are in the world. Who are we with? Like, how do we feel? How did we feel this entire, that entire year? How do we still feel as musicians and artists? And to bring people into where we are. So not just the two of us as musicians together as musical partners here with you, but here with you is also that as performers, we're with the audience, we're with the listener. We're also with the composer, that we're all here with each other together. So the here can be a place, meaning where I heard the piece first, like in front of my computer, like all of us were doing or coming, tuning in from home. You know, we were performing at home. We were there, we were here, but also music can transport us as well. And it can make us all here together without being in the same place or the same time. So here with you is also here with Brahms here with Weber, here with music of all time and creation and, and music and art. And I think that's that's kind of the multi-layered meaning of what we named the album, but also the important place in our hearts that this particular work has for us as musicians. Yeah, I think along those lines, you know, what we're missing the most during this time and what we've all learned is we crave for connection, human connection. And um, this music, again, it creates that connection. And so here with you is really a tribute to, to this time and how we're feeling and how we can, you know, what we value more than anything else is this channel to be able to connect with, with each other and through music and it's 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 a very much an album of this particular time for us, I think. I've been reading a little bit about how Jessie Montgomery describes this piece, and she said, I'm learning to observe sadness for the first time, not as a negative emotion, but as a necessary dynamic to the human experience. How do we hear that in the piece? I think the the sadness in the work and this is the interpretation of it, but you sometimes hear a piece of music where 
it just is sad, you know? But that sadness does not mean that the piece can't heal you, can't move you, can't bring you joy as well. And I think that's actually the connection with the whole album, the entire album, is that all of these works, yes, there are moments of, of deep sadness and struggle, but that doesn't take away from just the beauty of the existence of the work. As you hear, like for instance, the introduction of the, of the work with just the piano. It is simple yet complex, and it takes you on its own journey. But at the end, you hear these amazing chords that have such beauty and such hope in them as well. And the work just takes you through there and the journey beyond that, where sometimes it is just what it is, which is absolutely necessary. You know, like, for instance, if you think about happiness as an emotion that is um, often misinterpreted or perhaps overestimated as something we should all try to achieve, you can imagine that in this work, you can hear the beauty in playing just acceptance, acceptance of where we are. You know, there was so much of that, and there still is so much of that in life, is that um, sometimes instead of fighting against and resisting sadness, sometimes you have to be okay with it as well in order to work through it and in order to just be okay with one's existence and one's life. And I think that is, I interpret, interpret what Jesse mentioned about this work as, as coming from that place. Um, and she says also, she's at a stage of making peace with sadness as it comes and goes. And that's, that's really powerful. Making a musical connection on a new recording called Here With You, Anthony McGill and Gloria Chen. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Mocker. <laughs>